Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by The Feed. The holidays are coming up, and it could sometimes be a bit overwhelming to try and find the perfect gifts for your friends. Luckily, The Feed has put together an athlete gift guide that I've attached in the show notes for you to take a look at. It's got some of the best items on there, like a Theragun, which starts at $199 for a limited time. They have collapsible foam rollers that help you keep those legs feeling good when you're on the go. Handlebar mustache socks are just $16. Bucks. And I just recently ordered a recoup cryosphere because it looks like the best new way of combining icing and massaging all in one. It's this little massage ball that helps break up scar tissue, relieve muscle spasms, knots, stress. All you, all you have to do is really put it in your freezer and it could be used for up to six hours. It's just 40 bucks right now. So I'm telling you, check out their gift guide and you'll find something for you, your friends, your family. My listeners can also head on over to thefeed.com and save 10% off everything storewide by using promo code Sidious10. So check them out. It's thefeed.com and use promo code Sidious10 for 10% off everything storewide. Many thanks to The Feed for doing an amazing job of sponsoring the podcast. My guest for today's show is Jenny Simpson, who probably doesn't need an introduction and you know that she is one of the most accomplished United States distance runners of all time. On this episode, we're going to take a real deep dive into her career, and it's a fun trip down memory lane. Jenny and I sat down in New York City at the beginning of November when she was in town for the New York City Marathon, and we're going to go back to her high school days in Florida. We're going to run through her NCAA accomplishments at Colorado that included an indoor title, three steeplechase national titles, and an 8th place finish at the 2008 Olympics, as well as a 4th place finish at the 2009 World Championships. We'll, we'll uh, also discuss those races, and then ultimately, what led her to move to the 1500, where that's the event that has won her a World Championship gold medal in 2011, a silver medal in 2013, bronze at the 2016 Olympics, and then another silver in 2017. So with 11 national titles also on her resume, we're going to discuss what comes next and how she's gearing up for the upcoming Olympic year. One last thing before we start the show, if you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and shouting us out in your Instagram stories. We love seeing that people are actively listening to the show, and this helps new people discover the show. We also unveiled some new merch on SidiousMag.com, so if you hit the link in the show notes, you can now get Sidious Mag hoodies, crewnecks, long sleeve shirts for the fall and winter. There's also a new Sidious Mag Hobby Jogger shirt that I created. So it's up in the store now. And as always, the best-selling Legs Are Feeling Good merch is also on there. So check that out. You can go to SidiousMag.com and hit the merch tab or hit the bonfire link in the show notes. All right, without further ado, here is Jenny Simpson. All right, now we welcome on Jenny Simpson to the podcast. Jenny, I didn't know whether or not to make this into like a... So the other podcast I do is Runners of NYC, which is uh, we interview just local runners at, of all levels. And I feel like just you would fall into uh, a New York City runner just because of how often you've won the uh, Fifth Avenue Mile. So welcome. We're, re we're recording this in New York, but uh, this is like a second home to you of sorts, right? 
it is kind of becoming a second home to me a little bit. And I, I appreciate that over nine years of racing here, like I'm slowly earning maybe like a guest uh, resident status here. Well, Fifth Ave should yeah. just be renamed, I think, after you oh, at this thank point. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I love my um, longevity in that, you know, in that specific event. But running in New York City in general has really grown on me and really been a joy over my career. And so that's been part of what brings me back to Fifth Ave and finishing my season here every year. Um, and now, you know, running through the park and feeling like I have a real sense of community when I run through the park here. Um, that's been a really, really fun kind of surprise development of my career. Aside from Fifth Avenue, what's your favorite place to run in New York City? You know, a few years ago, I kind of st I stayed in an apartment down in uh, the village in Greenwich Village, and I ran along the West Side Highway, and I ran through Battery Park, and um, on the east side of Manhattan. And there's so much good running in yeah. New York that you kind of is there for you to discover the longer that you're here. So that was a really fun adventure place for me to branch out and and run. Well, the locals will say the opposite. It's just like that. There's only so few places, and you just have to like repeat them over and over again. It's either Central Park. West Side Highway and you're just like alternating between the two but yeah I mean when you come in for a week or a weekend I'm sure you can like definitely vary it up but that's exactly yeah. what I was going to say <laughs> it's a completely different experience when you're here for a week at a time yeah. or two weeks at a time and you get to like hit all the places you love and then you get on a plane and you go back to Colorado yeah <laughs> Uh, so you're on a break right now. No, you're not. The, the build up to Tokyo 2020 hasn't started just quite yet. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm taking a break. And for me, the break is like physical and emotional and spiritual, just totally stepping away from what I do for work. And so I am going out and running, but I articulate it by saying I'm running and I'm not training. So if I wake up in the morning and it's a nice day and I feel like going out for a run, I'll get in a few miles. Um, I'm going out a lot without a watch right now. Um, Central Park is six miles for a loop. So I kind of know if I've done close to six <laughs> miles. Um, but even that, I mean, I'm, I'm just heading out and having fun and and not even running every day. So what's that like for you, I guess, to emphasize like this break over the course of your career, I guess, at the point that you're at right now, after making, you know, several world championship teams and Olympic teams, has have you put like more of an emphasis on how long that break is and what you really want to focus on in that time span? It's yeah, I think that it's important to know your personality and really lean into your personality when you make decisions like this. I love my break. I think there are people, you know, everybody knows the runner that says, oh, it's so hard for me when I'm not running. And I'm not one of those runners. <laughs> <laughs> I totally need the break. And um, I think, you know, Wetmore, my coach has been really instrumental in uh, kind of teaching and building up some of my understanding of what it really means to take a break. And um, I, I think kind of through his teaching and influence, um, I really learned like part of taking the break is that you should really, really want to get back to running by the time you're doing it again. And so that's really what I focus on the most kind of when I take a step away is like mentally, physically, even just like my conversations with friends, like stepping away should be a big enough step away that I'm really craving it by the time I go back to training. Um, one of my favorite podcasters is uh, Bill Simmons, and the way he does some interviews with uh, actors and stuff is he goes on their IMBD page and like he just runs down like their films and all, all that kind of stuff. And I kind of want to really frame this podcast doing it similar to you around your career. So it's like I've pulled a bunch of facts, and I want to cram <laughs> it as much into this hour that we have together. So let's go all the way back to high school. Okay. Um, 
Faces in the Crowd is uh, you were in Sports Illustrated back in 2003. I was able to pull that up actually when I was working at the old offices that we had, and I went into their archives and I looked at, I found the issue that you were in, and I was like, wow, it was like this was from when you won your second cross country title, um, and state title, yeah, state, state title. championships, yep. yeah, that's right, and so. I was looking at through your high school career and according to Wikipedia, five time <laughs> state champion in track, three time cross country champion, third place at Foot Locker in 2003. Mm-hmm. And right now your high school track is named after you, right? Yeah, yeah. They honored me with that, I think, a year ago. And I was really surprised. It was it was a high moment of my life and my career. So high school track, was that when it really first clicked for you that the sport, this was it for you? Um, oh, you mean high school track when I was like doing it as a young person? Yeah. Um, I, it's funny, you know, people ask that. I think that I don't know that there was like one single moment that I'm like running is my sport for life. Um, but I always really enjoyed running. It's where my friends were. So it was a much less like passion driven decision than that. It was more like, oh, well, this is what my friends are doing. And so I'll just do it next year. Um, I do remember sitting the very, very first day of high school practice, uh, we were sitting in the desks in the rows and the coaches giving kind of the summary of what to, is to be expected. And I remember raising my hand and saying, but what days do we practice? And he said, we practice every day. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm like sitting there thinking like, oh, maybe this is not for me. Like, I don't want to run every day. <laughs> um, so it's, I've come a far, a far ways since high school. When you were seeing all that success uh, at the high school level, what was the interest like and did that change like as you were a junior or a senior that uh, that you wanted to run in college and were a lot of people reaching out? I've always been really, really driven by the competitive side of the sport. And so and I and kind of strangely, but fortunately, really narrowly focused on the competitive nature of the sport that's immediately surrounding me. So when I was in high school, I really wanted to be the best on my team. And then I really wanted to be the best in my state. And then, um, you know, it wasn't and I was so narrowly focused on just those specific things um, that I didn't really. I didn't even have an awareness a lot of times of what kind of the next step was or what the next level was. Um, I remember my coach kind of pointing out to me that, you know, there's only so many high school runners ever in the state of Florida who have won three state titles. And since I won uh, in cross country and since I won uh, as a sophomore, I had the potential to do that. When I won as a sophomore, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. Um, Of course, I qualified for my first world championships in cross country when I was in high school. When I went to that race, I didn't, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know <laughs> that it qualified you for a world championship team. I just was there and there's runners around me and I wanted to be competitive. So I think that that is also, I've kind of carried that mentality through my career that it's like the immediate surrounding competitive environment is what I'm most concerned about. And being excellent in that moment, I think has then just propelled me to the next level at each step. What do you remember about the first time you put on that USA singlet, I guess, because you, you said it, it came at a really early age? I was 17 years old, yeah, and I, it's it's incredible to when I look back because there are people that work so hard in so many years of their career to get that first jersey, um, and I truthfully really stumbled into it. I mean, I was at a race where I didn't know you qualified for a world championships. Um, I, I 
had my very first experience racing in snow. I mean, there were so many things about that day that were just so wild thinking back on like how naive I was. Um, but I got to go on that first trip and it was my first time out of the country. We traveled to Brussels, Belgium to compete. Um, what's kind of special about the cross country championships is that the junior team travels with the senior mm -hmm. team and we race, you know, back to back days. Um, so it, it is kind of, I mean, you get to observe and be around and really you mimic exactly what the senior team is doing. Um, there were college coaches there, there were professional coaches there, and all of this is new to me. Like, I'm like, oh, there are runners that get paid to do this? <laughs> like, I didn't even know that, you know? Um, and so my exposure was just kind of a little bit of a tsunami. Um, but I've always had this strange and totally at times unjustified level of confidence. And so I just went in and thought, oh, I'll just try and do as well in this race as I did in the last one. Um, and, and it's been a blast like that for 20 years. <laughs> Can you, can you tell when people are having those moments nowadays when they're like on their first world championship team and you could see maybe they're glowing in the same way that you were as a, that teenager? When people make their first team, I have, I, maybe the best way that I can describe it is that because I've been so lucky to make so many teams, I've wrestled so many different kinds of odds and I've wrestled so many different kinds of circumstances leading into the anticipation of having to perform on that one day. And so I know different versions of this story. I know how there's so much behind the scenes that nobody knows that you're facing all on your own before you go to the start line. I know the nerves of when you're the most prepared person and you think, I've never been fitter in my life, but what if I screw it up on this one day? You know, I, I, I feel like I know so many versions of that story um, that, that when I see people really glowing, I just, I know and appreciate, it's like giving me chills thinking about it, like how much went into it. Like I don't even have to know the specific story to know that it's, it's so meaningful every single time and it's so hard every single time. So kind of keeping going on, on your career trajectory, you get to Colorado and nowadays like it, I mean, it, it could be the Running with the Buffaloes book, it could be uh, Kara Goucher's success, your success, Dathan's success, um, that really, uh, and the cross-country teams that have won titles in recent years, like that's what draws people to Colorado. What was it that drew you there? I really wanted to use my running to get into the best East Coast University <laughs> so that I could get the best education possible and go on to a top 10 law school. Like that was my plan. <laughs> and I was going to go to law school and be in a, in a litigator on the East Coast somewhere and, and have um, a crazy fast paced life in a very different context. Um, and all of that obviously <laughs> went way out the window. Um, or, or diverted into a different path. I went and on, on, I took all five of my college visits um, and really enjoyed all of them. I went out to Colorado and I was really drawn to um, Coach Wetmore's personality and kind of his philosophy around training and life and how integrated the life of living, like the lifestyle living in Colorado is with your sport. Um, I think that was really attractive to me as I mean, if anyone's ever been to Boulder in the fall, like it's a beautiful yeah. place to be. And if you're a runner and you've grown up your whole life training in Florida, you think, oh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I could run well here, you know, in Boulder. So, um, there were a lot of things that attracted me. Um, but far above and beyond, there was this idea in my mind and really supported thankfully by my dad specifically um, and some other really important people in my life. If I was ever going to be good at running, 
this would be the time to give it a try. And what really influenced me from the University of Colorado specifically was that they had so many athletes that after their college years went on to really successful professional careers. And what that communicated to me was that there was still life left in these people mm -hmm. after college. There was still joy or some uh, desire and will to continue in the sport beyond their four years. Uh, and that communicated to me, if you're going to be really good, you can develop at the University of Colorado and then go on to be even better. Um, that kind of coaching is uh, few and far between, not just because people are or are not willing to do it, but some people, a lot of people, I would say, don't know how to do it. And, and Mark is particularly good at that. And so that really attracted me to, to see you. How different is Mark as a coach now than when he was when you first got there? Because I, I just had a conversation with Shalane last week where she was talking about Jerry and how Jerry is a much better coach now than uh, when she started working with him because she was kind of like the guinea pig for, for, for him. And now all these athletes are benefiting off of everything that's worked for her is now tailored to these different athletes. And they're seeing like all these leaps and bounds of success uh so is it similar to you and mark from the very beginning when i was working with mark i always had this wonderful sense of freedom that his career and his longevity and his legacy in the sport as a coach is not riding on me doing well yeah. <laughs> he's already had so many great athletes um, he's brought athletes from walk-ons to olympians before i ever arrived at the university and so i would say that um, I'm far from being a guinea pig in that mm -hmm. sense. Uh, but Mark and Heather Burroughs, his kind of co-coach, um, they, they do an incredible job as partners together as coaches. Um, they both are incredible in how they are so open-minded to evolving and trying new things and doing things differently, um, kind of pushing the envelope, whether, you know, it's in their own minds or there's new um, ideas out there kind of um, picking through and sorting through and consolidating all the crazy ideas that come into our sport um, and really sifting through and saying, okay, what's worth us giving some attention to? Um, you can't try everything new all at the same time, but they have evolved a lot over the years and how they, just how you show up at practice at the University of Colorado now looks very different <laughs> than um, when I was there, you know, 10 years ago. And part of that is a consequence of just the evolution of time, right? Yeah. You know, we have a beautiful 300 meter indoor track That's right. that I did not <laughs> have 10 years ago at the University of Colorado. Um, so the facilities have changed, the buildings have changed, the offices have changed, the staff has changed, the AD has changed. So some of that kind of forces you to adapt and innovate. Um, but even aside from that, uh, Mark and Heather always have their, their, their wheels are turning and I hope that I keep them up at night thinking, how can we keep getting Jenny faster? And it's funny that you mentioned just like all the different changes at Colorado, because I remember Dathan might have, I think, caught some slack on this podcast for, I think, saying like nowadays, like the, the runners are just a little bit more pampered in just like the, the facilities that they had. And when when they were there, it was just you're running outdoors no matter what. Um, so that's definitely, I think, I think one of the changes when you uh, said, I guess, like some of these crazy ideas that I think come into the sport. Was it a crazy idea when 
they had you steeplechasing uh, there? <laughs> or was it uh, was that just something that naturally, I guess, transitioned from high school to when you were there? It was nothing natural about my <laughs> transition <laughs> into or out of the steeplechase. Um, it's so funny because now it feels it feels so long ago. I don't know if people realize, but my last... Um, my last steeplechase was in 2009 at the World Championships. That was the last time I raced it. And I didn't know when I was racing it that that would be my last mm-hmm. steeplechase. Um, and that, we I mean, that's 10 years ago now, 2019, <laughs> uh, World Championships. I thought about that when I was there. Uh, and I can't believe it's been a decade since I went over a water barrier. But um, so, yeah, I, can't, I mean... I don't know how Mark and Heather would tell the story. Um, it'd be interesting because, like I said, it was now 14 or 15 years ago. It would be interesting to see how close our stories are. But my memory is I come in. I'm a freshman. My first cross-country season, I was strong. I felt good. Um, but we, as we moved into track, outdoor track, uh, we had someone that could score a conference in the 15, the 5K, and the 10K, and they needed someone that could score a score in the steeplechase. And so my memory is that the major driving force of the decision for me to be in the steeplechase at least my freshman year um, was to score a conference. And so I ran one at Stanford, then ran it at conference. Um, and then Mark and Heather kind of made this pitch to me that if you want to go to NCAAs as a freshman, that would be such a big deal, such a big experience. Like this could be really good for you. Your best chance is to do that, um, in the steeplechase. And I took them up on it and won my freshman year and got stuck with the event for the next, (laughs) for the next four years. (laughs) And to think now, like 10 years later, that it's a totally different era of the steeplechase. Nowadays, the times are just so much faster what do you i guess remember about how the steeplechase was being like contested at that time because um yeah i mean the times were definitely slower and it was still uh, the americans weren't there yet internationally yeah and the international scene was so brand new too Mm -hmm. one of the things i remember the most is that or that is fun to remind people i had never seen a steeplechase before I ran one. Like I think Mark and Heather had me drive to Fort Collins or Greeley or something to watch a teammate run the steeplechase because I was racing it at Stanford the next weekend. (laughs) So that's how new and unusual the steeplechase was as an event. It had never been in the Olympics. I hadn't personally Mm -hmm. seen it contested at world championships, although it it was very newly being contested there. Um, So it it was just a total like frontier. It, it, It barely exists. Um, I remember Mark printing out a picture of um, a woman, an international woman going over a water barrier to like show me what it should look like. Cause there was no one to show me mm-hmm. in real life what this is supposed to look like. Um, so those sorts of things are, are re- it, I just took it for what it was at that time. But now looking back, it's so funny. Um, the other thing is breaking 10 minutes was a really big deal. Um, I won NCAAs my freshman year and part of what was such a big deal was that I broke 10 minutes in that race. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, (laughs) can you imagine, you know, breaking 10 minutes is like, no, it won't make the final or semis (laughs) headline. Exactly. Um, and, and I'm really proud of my years steeplechasing, um, Anna at the time, she and I had this great rivalry back and forth, which I think kind of 
pushed the outer edge of both of our abilities in that event while we were doing it. Um, without each other, I don't think we would have, either of us would have run as well, at least for me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'll speak for myself. But um, yeah, I think back on those years and I think, wow, we, we started something that had a really long way to go, but what a unique experience in a sport. And then you end up at the trials, you snag the third spot uh, by just like seven seconds. What do you remember about that final lap? And I guess making your first Olympic team, the feelings and the emotions, because when it's the when you get the third spot, that's got to be just <laughs> like the most nerve wracking thing to see two people ahead of you and not know how close the person is behind you. Yeah, I remember, it's so weird because I don't remember hardly any of the race except that, so I, I was going into it and it was supposed to be, in my mind, in my memory of it, um, that I had run really fast the week week or weekend before, mm -hmm. week or two, um, and it was like, you know, Anna and Jenny are going to vie for hopefully one of them will set the American record. That was kind of the thing, mm -hmm. it's like you know, whoever wins is probably going to set the American record. And so the American record winning the Olympic trials, like all of that stuff was kind of on my shoulders and, um, on all of our shoulders, you know? Um, but, uh, I remember going into the race and I remember being nervous and I don't remember the majority race, but I do remember the backstretch of the last lap. And I remember thinking you're third and right now you're on the team just like, don't screw that up. Yeah. And I remember like not worrying about like, like, like letting go of the record and the win and thinking just make the team. <laughs> and so I think that's good. Like you don't know how you're going to react in that moment. Um, and given how a lot of the conversation was about, and, and I really wanted to be the one that set the American record, you know, um, but, but learning to let that go and really focus on the thing that was the most important, which is just make the team. Um, that's a lesson that then helped me obviously in the future, you know, don't, don't worry about the American record when that could put you in fourth. Yeah. I think there's nothing more entertaining or just, just so Oh, well, it's so painful to watch sometimes, too, is just that final lap of, like, the women's steeplechase at a U.S. championships because that third spot nowadays is just, well, I think, like, 2016 and, thir and uh, like, that time period before it was really Emma and uh, Colleen and, and Courtney really running away with it. There was That yeah. third spot was just always crazy. And there was al the final water barrier has just got to be one of the most – I don't know, it, like, are there nerves going over it? Like when you, when there is like a team spot on the line, like you, you said, you just wanted to make the team Yeah. that, that means clearing that final water barrier. It's gotta be nerve wracking. You, you do think about the final water barrier because you know, that's when you're the most tired and the stakes yeah. are the most high. <laughs> and that combination is really, um, is, it can be, it's dangerous, right? Yeah. <laughs> going in, going into that last water jump. Um, but then also kind of your awareness of how risky that is can also kind of trend you in the direction of causing or being a part of an accident more than saving you. So um, there is a psychological edge where you, you do need to really focus and you need to be aware of, of how important it is to just get over it. Um, 
but and and not let that kind of tip you into being so nervous that then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. as you approach it. Um, I haven't done it in a really long time. I when I was doing it, uh, there were I was fortunate because the the field was thinner, <laughs> and so I wasn't often approaching the final barrier with more than one or two people. Um, so that probably helps a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those really tough things in sport and and especially in track and field um, as you narrow it down. Yeah, it's 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 a risky spot for a lot of drama mm-hmm. um, and, and it rarely fails to disappoint. I just mentioned that as like one of my favorite things to watch. Like what other events do you like to particularly watch like at a trials or like at a U.S. championships when the stakes are so high? Like aside from like your own race, I mean, you're probably so focused on that during the actual trials that there isn't too much time to, to watch anything else. But, you know, later on going back and watching races, like is it a men's 800 or the women's 800 that, that you particularly like to, to just check out and see the dramatics of? Yeah, you're right. When you, I've, I've been competing and, and so that means at the trials and at the games and things like that, like I am, I don't get to be the yeah. spectator the way that I would want to be uh, and enjoy our sport. But, you know, the times that I do really love to engage in the sport um, or the moments that, like, give me, like, the happy chills of, like, oh, this is so dramatic and exciting uh, is often the field events. Yeah. Because when it comes down to, like, you know, two or three jumpers or throwers, um, especially when it's going back and forth between two people, you know, in the high jump or in one of the long jumps, um, it it's it's so exciting and so amazing to me that they get kind of their own moment and they're standing there all on their own and they know exactly what they need to do and watching people pull that off Mm -hmm. um you know you can see that in a crowd you can see that happen you can see people kind of judge against themselves on the track um but there's something just kind of like thrilling and really dramatic about um having that happen um in the field events you know sam in the pole vault this year at world championships um is a perfect example of like the drama it's all on your shoulders it's do or die on on the second or third attempt you know uh that kind of drama in our sport i think is really exciting um so i kind of going into this zero dark 30 mode where it's just like solely focused on your own race. What was Jenny Simpson like at her first Olympics? Like in in terms of just channeling that competitiveness and then, you know, I guess what were your goals in that first Olympic, you know, stage that that you were on? Uh, In 2008, my goal for the Olympics was to make the final. I really wanted to make the final. I had been to the world championships in 2007 and didn't make the final. And so that was just a really natural next step for me. Um, but it is funny and difficult to go back and try to remember yourself uh, much younger like that, doing exactly the same job that I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you look back on your high school self or your college self and you think, oh, all the different things I was doing back then compared to now. <laughs> and I tease with my friends that like my life hasn't changed <laughs> hardly at all. <laughs> like I'm doing exactly the same thing. Um, and so when I think back and think of myself in 2008, I just see a younger, wide-eyed, um, anything is possible type of person uh, that I think is still mostly here, but maybe just an older, more matured, more experienced version of that. Um, but I just I went into everything thinking I can be really good at this, and I I didn't go into the Olympics in 2008 thinking I could medal. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of knew what was out of my reach and what was a goal that was kind of 
really worth holding tight onto. Um, so making the final was that. And then when I went into the final, um, I wanted to be the top American. I wanted to, you know, compete for the highest spot possible. But I was surprised when I ran in the American record there. Um, and that was a real, like, cherry on top to the experience as a whole. So we've kind of touched on 08, 09. You go back to school, 2010. Uh, but I think, well, so the cross-country championship, I think, is like that that year right the oh yeah so yeah. that is the one I guess the one race where I, I think of like Tom Brady getting drafted in, in like the 199th spot right <laughs> and so for you it's like you go back to school and you're kind of favored to win a cross-country title things go south in that race Wh- how did you what was that disappointment like in the in in that moment and then how did you channel that into okay take like I have to move on from this right so I, to set it up just a little bit, yeah. I won four NCAA titles. Mm-hmm. I'd been twi- twice, I had been second at the cross country championships. And this is my senior year. It's my last race in college. You're an Olympian. You'd been at Worlds. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm going into the championships of cro- cross country uh, NCAA championships. And this is the, this is like the one thing I have left to do in college. I want to win this title. Second, two years in a row, I want to be first. Um, and I had come back to the University of Colorado after uh, making the Olympic team. I didn't go pro. I wanted to run that last cross-country season. So this is four and a half years of college. I'm coming back just to do this. Um, and I think there are so many different ways you can try to overanalyze mm-hmm. and break down and, and decide what happens uh, in that setting. But it's so simple. I just got carried away and was overwhelmed with the how much I wanted to win that race I went out really really hard we went out um and this is at the Terre Haute course Mm -hmm. I think a little bit over nine minutes maybe nine ten or something through the 3k I mean we were running hard and um I remember having this feeling as we went through the 3k and I don't know the exact split but I remember it being fast because that was the last split I saw (laughs) and so uh I go through the 3k we're halfway um, and I see the split and there were still people around me. And that was when I, I just, I, I mean, I blacked out and I fell and I don't remember a lot kind of as I then made my way through the next 3k. I do remember waking up, kind of like coming to in the race and thinking, is this one of those weird dreams where, mm-hmm. you know, you fall asleep and you're at a race and you don't remember how to run? Like that's exactly how it felt. <laughs> how it a nightmare. Felt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is, this is my nightmare. <laughs> um, and I remember kind of coming to and realizing like there were like dozens of runners going by me, going, go, you know, uh, rushing by me. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is not a dream. Like I need to get up. Um, and I really struggled to kind of make it to, um, you know, through the next kilometer, you know, to about a mile to go. But then at Terre Haute, there's a fence about 500 to go. And then you go up that long stretch Mm -hmm. towards the finish. Um, and I remember getting to that 500 to go and thinking like finish strong, like no matter what, like I'm not going to score well for the team. Obviously I'm not going to win. I finished 169th, I think. Um, and I just remember like run this last 500 meters with dignity and with as much like aggression as you can. I had fallen several times from three K to the finish. Um, and I just wanted to like, I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Like I, I wanted to just make it to the finish line and just close this, (laughs) you know, get this race over with. Um, and, and, and I did that the best I could. Did that ever help change, I guess, your perspective on wanting 
something so bad because it's like you, you said you really really wanted that title and i guess moving forward as an individual it's like you compete and it's your job to you know win medals and so it's like have you ever like had to scale it back where it's like i don't want to obsess over winning a gold medal at the world championships or at an olympics because last time i really really <laughs> wanted something so bad it went really south yeah um, it, I, I thought of it that way for a long time. I thought, okay, here's a good example of you, uh, you can grip something so hard you can choke it out. And that's definitely what I did to that cross country title that day. I could have won that race so many different ways. I could have sat and kicked. I could have gone out hard and, and finished, um, strong and, and I just totally blew it. I blew it. Um, and I did think for a long time, okay, the lesson here is, you know, don't grip something so tightly. It's been years and years and years of that being part of my story um, that now on reflection, I think actually there's, there was a more important purpose for it in my career. Um, and so I'm gonna jump way forward probably to something that you wanted to cover eventually. But um, when I lost my shoe in 2015 at the World Championships, um, so I'm in the best shape of my life. I go to the 1500. Um, I'm thinking like, this is definitely a year that I think I could medal. I'm mm -hmm. in incredible shape. Um, and I, I, you know, go through all the tough steps. You make it through um, onto the USA team at the uh, trials. You go to the world championships. You go through the first round. You go through the second round. You're standing on the starting line in the final. And about 700 meters in, somebody um, stepped on my shoe and pulled off my shoe. Um, and I, I wasn't able to compete the way that I was capable of, yeah. you know, because I had one shoe on. Anyway, I was walking 200 meters around to pick up my shoe after the race was over and I was 11th and ugh, it's just so disappointing. Um, having that kind of moment taken just by fate just felt so unfair. So I, I, I say all of that to say, I think that in retrospect, the having had cross country happen, what it taught me was that this will be fine. Mm -hmm. I will be fine. I can survive this. I mean, I remember walking around to go get my shoe and thinking like, what am I going to say when I leave here? Like, what am I going to tell all the reporters waiting to see my reaction? And I just remember thinking like, I have had this feeling before and it was worse. Like it was worse <laughs> <laughs> at cross country um, because I didn't know if I was healthy and okay in cross country. It was the end of my college career. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a world championships. I have medals at home to go home to. This was a terribly, awfully missed opportunity, but it wasn't my fault and I will survive this just like I survived cross country. So I, I look back now and I think, wow, I think that that cross country race served a greater purpose because in 2015 where there was a lot more on the line and in, in, in relation, it was probably a lot more important. Um, I, it did not linger in my life the way that cross country did. I was able to get over it a lot quicker. A quick break now to give you the lowdown on Squirrel's Nut Butter. They are the best when it comes to anti-chafing salves and products. Why? Because they use all natural ingredients in everything that they make. If it's not natural, it's not good enough for your skin. The products are made to prevent skin damage as well as restore and repair damaged skin. It's a company that really cares about its consumers. They oversee every step of the production. They're based in Flagstaff, Arizona and have people mixing and pouring every ingredient before labeling containers shipping out every order they also give back to the sport by sponsoring cycling running and triathlon athletes and events around the world they also support this podcast my listeners can all try 
Squirrel's Nut Butter products right now and get 20% off every single one of their products by using promo code Sidious20 at checkout by visiting squirrelsnutbutter.com. And right now, they're also offering free shipping on all U.S. orders. So act fast and don't miss out. That's squirrelsnutbutter.com and use promo code Sidious20. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of picked up on a little bit of a trend, just kind of looking at some of your results over over time where it was like, okay, the year that she has like a breakthrough the year before, there had to have been something that, that went wrong. So I guess kind of continuing on that timeline, um, 2010 was a year that you were injured. I think it was uh, what I found on the internet was uh, <laughs> right femur stress fracture that yeah. like, had you out for a bit. You also had the coaching change to go back to Mark, right. Mark and Heather. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got married that year. So 2010 is an off year. It's 2010 it's, was a crazy year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just yeah. a whirlwind. What, did, what were you, I, was that just a year to kind of get all this stuff out and prepare for another like world championships or, you know, I've been so lucky in my career that I haven't had a uh, season ending injury. Mm-hmm. I haven't had, except for that one. Yeah. Um, but I made it through USA's, which I, you still can count that as a season. Yeah. And you <laughs> signed a pro contract that year. Yeah. Yep, so. yep. I went pro in 2010. I got married in 2010. Um, I'm so lucky that I haven't had these big interruptions in my career. So I think I just consolidated a lot of like moving, getting married, signing a pro contract, doing all of that in one year. Um, I finished USA's. I ran the 5K that year. I finished USA's and I couldn't walk the next day. Like I had to crawl the next day to get to the bathroom because I because my femur was so was so messed up. Um, I probably should not have raced on it. Um, but I'm, but I'm glad I did cause I'm fine now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it took me out for a long time. I was in the pool for a really long time. Um, that very incredibly and strangely, again, like you said, you can never predict some of these things, but you look back and you think, oh my gosh, what are the odds? That injury is the reason that I didn't steeplechase the following year. Um, and really changed the course of the rest of my career. Oh, for sure. You go on to run an indoor season, which you don't do too often anymore. Um, You win, I think, two national titles. I think that 2011 indoor season have some great success carrying it out onto outdoor season. And I guess just kind of like moving like to fast forward it, it's Daegu, the the one that we really want to talk about. And it's just, uh, I like hearing some of like the behind the scenes stuff of just like what, that day was like for you from the moment that you woke up you don't know I guess waking up that it's going to be one of the best days of your life <laughs> unless That's so true uh, unless like yeah. you, you did but what were you feeling from the moment you woke up and then take us through put us in your shoes like while you're sitting in the call room and and warming up what was that day like you're right you don't know when you wake up what kind of day it's going to be um so this is 2011 is the first year that I'm running running the 1500 mm-hmm. meters at the world championships. So we've been through how I made world teams and Olympic teams, uh, in the steeplechase 2010, I get hurt. We say, you know what? The steeplechase is a lot. Let's just train for something different, kind of mix it up, do something fun. Um, so we decide to run the 1500. Um, I'm qualified at the U S championships and I'm really learning as I go. I haven't run many 1500 meters in my life. Um, I mean, I had the big one at pre that a lot mm-hmm. of people remember, but other than that, I really had not, I, the 1500 is such a tactical race and there's so many things that, you know, it's brilliant when somebody gets it right, but there's so many ways to get it wrong. You mm-hmm. know, you can kind of accidentally get it right, but you can really, really get it wrong. Um, and so there's so many things I was kind of learning as I was going just 
race by race that year. Um, and Julie was an incredible coach in that way. Tactically, she had such a great brain for it. She was a really good teacher. She was great at pointing out things in race videos for me to really, um, learn from and correct, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. So, um, she was a great, a great coach and mentor in that way. Um, but we get to the world championships. And again, I just thought, you know what, I'm new at this. I haven't done this before. I just want to make the final. So I go through the first round, get it right, make it to the semi, go to the semi. I just want to get this right enough to make it to the final. I remember with Julie and my husband, Jason, getting onto the bus and Jason didn't get onto the bus um, because he's not, you know, credentialed, but he kind of parted with us there. And Julie and I get on the bus to go to the stadium and we got off the bus um, to go into the stadium to kind of start our warm up and stuff. And I remember like the, there was a bright moon, it was a clear sky. And I remember telling her like, this is such a beautiful night to race. And she then later even commented about that, about how I was just happy and I was relaxed and I'm like commenting on the weather and just like, it's a beautiful night for a great race. Like this is going to go great. Great. Um, and I, then I also remember saying to her something along the lines of just really like playfully, like, well, 25% of people in this race are going to go home with a medal. So <laughs> I'll take those odds, you know, <laughs> if three out of 12 medal, all right, I'll, I'll race for that, you know? <laughs> Um, and I do think that it was like the freedom of having no expectation and not even like I had no expectation, but nobody had any pressure on me. You know, there was no outward U.S. expectation mm-hmm. for me yeah. to come home with a medal. And so having none of that, but having um, a, in, an incredible competitive drive that I've always had in my career, um, I think I just went into the race thinking, let's just see what we can do here. Um, I do if you want to get specifically into the actual race, I remember it unfolding in some ways a little bit like Prefontaine in the sense that like in the race, I kept thinking to myself at different points, like, okay, when are they going to totally run away from me? Think still thinking like Mm -hmm. the people in this race are so much better at this than I am. (laughs) You know, when are they going to totally run away? And I better run hard because they're going to, they're going to catch me. Um, and, and having it unfold in a lot of ways, you know, not dissimilar to pre and having this big charge at the end. Um, it just couldn't have gone better. And then afterwards the celebration and, and, and all that, <laughs> what was it? What was that like? <laughs> so this is, I've told this story before, but it's totally true. I come across the finish and I kept thinking like they're, co- they're going to come for you. They're going to come for you. Just run as hard as you can get to the finish line. Um, and I kind of kept waiting to be not leading yeah. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Um, and so I come across the finish line and I legitimately thought, wait a minute, is, are there four rounds to the 1500? <laughs> like, you know, I'm new at this. Like I haven't done this. Like I didn't want to celebrate as if I'd won if I didn't. And I was kind of like waiting, thinking, did I get something wrong? Is this, you know, did did nobody try as hard because it was another <laughs> round or something like it is this crazy experience when you're at the world championships nobody expects anything from you and suddenly you come across the line first and it's not even like I don't know how to react but you're thinking did this really unfold the way I mean yeah. kind of like the opposite of the nightmare of cross country you're standing there thinking like am I dreaming this or did this actually happen um, another competitor came up and gave me a big hug and that's when I knew like oh no, she's hugging me because this is it. Like this is the final, like I won. And, um, I have that great face that (laughs) people love, uh, that, that photo. And I love that photo, um, of just like total shock. 
Um, so I guess you mentioned just kind of like how you were still learning the 1500 to an extent at that time. Tactically, when you're leading in that race, what was it, I guess, that you have studied about previous races that made you just want to just go for it from the front and lead wire to wire, like strategically? In 2013. And in, uh, oh yeah, I guess in, in 13. Yeah, so that was 2013. So <laughs> 2013, so two years later, I'm, or no, uh, three years later. No, 11, 12, 13, yeah, two years, two years later. later yeah. Yeah. I, I'm at the World Championships and it's the total opposite, right. total opposite style. Um, so I had returned and was working with um, Mark and Heather mm -hmm. again by that point. You know, a lot of that decision really came from, uh, you know, I, I'd been running really well in the Diamond League that year. Um, I had a lot of confidence going into it. But a lot of that came from just how that first 100 meters shook out. I was way on the inside. I wanted to punch that first 100 meters so I wasn't mm -hmm. totally buried. Kind of ended in the lead. Um, and I can honestly say, like, that was not the plan. But I remember thinking, like, I know that if I run 65 or 66, that's not super hard for me. And it's hard enough for them that maybe they'll just kind of yeah. let <laughs> us roll at that pace, you know. Um, and I can't say that I have this, like, super, super brilliant plan going in that I'm, you know, I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to go at a certain pace and then I'm going to kick at this point. Like, um, that's one of the things that's really interesting about the 15 is that yeah. it's really dynamic and you have to make decisions on the spot and on your feet. Um, and so I do remember being in the lead and then just thinking like, yeah, I'm all right with this. Like I, I totally can do this from here. Um, and then really preparing and really ready that when people came to challenge that pole position, mm -hmm. I'd really have to be ready to fight them off. And you can't concede an inch if you decide to take that tactic by yeah. leading. Um, and so, yeah, I watched that race even today. And I think that's one of my most underrated, um, courageous races of my career i always feel like you and someone like nick willis would be just like the best x's and o's type person to <laughs> dissect all these uh 1500 meter races um would was that a little bit of a redemption race granted how the 2012 olympics like shook out totally it totally was and i do think that there was a little bit of this sense of you know 2011 maybe she just got lucky and then 2012 I was nervous and timid and so I do think uh how 2013 unfolded was was a little bit of a manifestation of this sense of like I'm not lucky and I'm not timid mm -hmm. like I really know what I'm doing out here I love this event I'm really good at it by this point you know I have three years of more experience um and and probably yeah a little bit of a sense of me thinking all right I want to take charge of this story and show people I really know what I'm doing um, and I, I guess kind of looking at that time span from 13, 14, 15 and kind of remembering it from my perspective was like you were just uh, you touched on 15 for sure as like that was probably like the year that you were in the best shape of your life. And actually the first thing uh, first time I ever saw my name in Sports Illustrated was when I wrote like a short scorecard uh, item on you for uh, for the magazine. And it was about you chasing the American record. And I guess to this day, Shelby just lowered it. Uh, it. It kind of like I see a lot of, you know, parallels between like someone like your career and someone like Shalane's where Shalane was, you know, focused on the American record around that same time, but then shifted her perspective to 
wanting to win Boston and then wanting to win New York. So for you, now that this American record was just lowered even more and it's evaded you, have you moved to a point, I guess, in your career where these recent years have been more about competing and finishing as high as you can at the world stages? I think that's really well said. And I, I think that the American record was something I really, really wanted and never got. And I'm so proud of how I chased after it and the way that I went about really strategically setting up my season to give myself a good chance. Um, one of the things that I said um, after the race in Doha, kind of to my inner circle of people, is no one had, no one in their career as a U.S. woman has had more opportunities to run the American record than I have. And I didn't get it done. And I feel okay about that. Yeah. I really do. I think if I saw, you know, there, there are 5K races that I see or 3K races that I see that I think, oh, why am I never in those, you know? Because it does feel like when I finally am really ready for a 3K, I have to do a lot of the work. I never get to just get in and cruise and see, you know, what I can get pulled to. Um, so you have these, and whether that's true or not, like that's just the feeling that sometimes you have uh, when you look at different races and you look how your career unfolds and what opportunities you have and what opportunities you've missed just by what races you were in and weren't. Mm -hmm. um, and so I look at the 15 and I think, I have so much peace about it because I had as many chances as any woman will ever have from the yeah. U.S. <laughs> to be in fast races and to have a chance to do it. And if I'm a 357 runner at the end of my career, I'm going to be really proud of that. Um, can I run 356? Can I run 357 again? My last race in Doha it makes me think that that's still on the table. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not walking away yet saying um, I'm just going to see how high I can be and just compete for place. You know, I still am trying to get faster, trying to unlock those last few little years of progress, you know, see if I can continue to get better and faster. If I didn't believe that that was there, um, I think the decline would be quicker, steeper. <laughs> um, but no, I have a lot of peace about the fact that I'll probably never have it. Well, yeah. And well, no one has run sub four in the 1500 for a decade. I think that is just something that is just impressive in and of itself. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. You know, and that's, that's the other thing that's really great and important for coaches. Mark and Heather have always done a wonderful job of giving me many important things to chase. Um, maybe I shouldn't say many, but more than one important thing to chase. Mm -hmm. So um, while the American record was there and it was something I wanted, and I don't know that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've made a serious attempt at it. Um, you know, Heather then reminds me this year at Rabat, you know, this is the 10th sub four you've run. And so we get to the world championships and it's like, let's get 11 sub fours. Let's see how many sub fours we can run. You know, having those sorts of, that sort of kind of encouragement and, and shifting kind of your sights to the different goals. Mm -hmm. um, great coaches do that for their athletes. Um, you, we touched on 15, the disappointment, I guess, in, in Beijing. And it kind of like, once again, was the trend of disappointment, success, disappointment, success. 16, I guess, having won medals at, in 11, 13, how, how is that bronze medal at the Olympics different or special? Is it just because it's at the Olympic stage and this is like what everyone trains for every four yeah. years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can never get away from the fact that you tell somebody, oh, I've, I have, you know, 
a medal from the world championships. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really great. You're really yeah. good at this. And then you say, oh, I medaled at the Olympics. And it's like a whole nother <laughs> level. Oh, my gosh, you must be so good. Um, so there's just a universal international understanding of what the Olympics is um, and an appreciation for the level that it is, even though the world championships is right on par. You know, winning a, a world medal is, is in my eyes, um, the same level of accomplishment. But um, being at the Olympic Games, that was the closest thing to say, like, um, what do I want to say? Like, you know how I was talking about in cross country, like really wanting that title. Mm -hmm. Like that was something that I was like, I, I will fight to the point of choking out the opportunity <laughs> to get this. Um, the, the Olympic games in 2016 was the closest that I came to that mentality again. Um, and fortunately this time managed it to my benefit. Um, but I had so many things go wrong. I mean, I had the most tumultuous journey to the start line, um, that year. And so just really briefly, you know, having the disappointment of 2015, I know I'm in the best shape of my life. My shoe comes off and I'm walking back to, um, the, the cool down area thinking, what am I going to, what am I going to say? What, mm -hmm. what are we going to do with this? Um, having that on my shoulders going into, uh, my preparation for the Olympic Games and thinking you can't train to redo 20, 2015. You know, 2016 has to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. It has to be its own experience, its own race, its own effort. Um, I had just a lot of things kind of personally throughout that year, nothing crazy, but then I got really sick um, just the week before I got on the airplane to leave for um, the Olympic Games and was really managing a terrible cold. I had a terrible cough. I have a long, long history of respiratory illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, so when I get a cough, it's something that really interrupts my training um, and my life and my <laughs> sleep and like so many things that a normal person needs to function, much less somebody going into the um, competitive peak of their career. Um, and so just getting there, I was like, I will army crawl to that final. I'll do whatever it takes and just get me to that final so that I can say I had a chance. Um, and it was, it was a tough go. Well, so it's interesting to hear that because like to the fans and the people who I guess just watch the sport, it's, you know, for a stretch from 2012 to 2016, it was always like, okay, the 1500, there's literally just one spot on the line in this national team. It's, it's you and Shannon kind of locked up. And that was, you know, a pretty good, I guess, rivalry of sorts is what everyone has characterized it as. Um, and then, you know, we don't hear about some of these these down moments before these major races. But it's always crazy to me to hear how things shake out. And sometimes those really, really low moments lead to that the, the race itself. Like playing out and you walking away with a bronze medal must have been like, I guess, worth more than just bronze on that day for you. It was worth everything. And my sister, she's so sweet. Um, and she and I have become really close as adults. Um, and she gave me uh, a note with a little bracelet that had a saying on it for every day. So for the first um, for the first round, the second round, and then the final. And she really emphasized on the last day. So I opened up and like read these letters before I went to the races. And the last one she really emphasized, like, enjoy this. Like, take your time. Don't let anyone rush you through any of this. I mean, she was totally convinced I was going to medal. <laughs> <laughs> She's, you know, the, the, has the most faith in me of anyone on the planet. So, uh, she just really emphasized like when you cross that finish line and it's amazing, like take, 
your time um, and enjoy it and do it for you. Um, and I really appreciate her having put that on my mind and really spoken that into my life because of all the experiences I've had in my entire career, you know, they're, they're, they all kind of get mixed together and you have memories that kind of morph over the years and so forth. But of all the high points and low points, like that victory lap in Rio, I remember the most vividly. And I think it really is because she told me like, do this for yourself. Like there's going to be so many things going on, so much happening. It's going to be so fast and crazy and like stop and like take a mental note of mm-hmm. it. And so, uh, she's, she gave me an incredible gift there. Cause I can still to this day, close my eyes and remember every step of that victory lap. 17 and 18 have kind of like morphed together for me just <laughs> mentally in terms of if for, for you. But I think this is also kind of around the same time that Shelby is on the rise and yeah. now Shelby it's no longer, I think, you and Shannon. Now it's you and Shelby, and this third spot is just still up for grabs, like at, at every championship. Um, I think what was really interesting, and this was just like I think a conversation between me and some friends watching, maybe it was USA's last year, and it was just kind of like Shelby is just super intimidating on that starting line, and at the same time, you are one of the most competitive like people <laughs> on that starting line as well. And it's just never going to be a case where it's like, is Jenny afraid of Shelby? I don't, I don't, I don't think it'll ever get to that. But what is that? Or is it contrasting different styles of competitive competitiveness between the two of you there? Or it's like, what, what is the difference between Jenny and Shelby right now? I don't know Shelby well. Yeah. And so I, and she's quite, I mean, she's a little bit younger than I am. Um, and so I don't know how the fans perceive us but I do know from my history with you know racing against Sally for so many years in college and then having Anna um, Mm -hmm. and I go back and forth and having Shannon in the 1500 um, I do know the power of having really different personalities and each one of those women have really different personalities um, and and I think that that's really good for the sport like I I embrace that Um, and I think having different types of people to root for is fun. Like if yeah. I was, I mean, I am a fan of the sport and I think it's fun. I don't think there's, it's, it's a Shelby versus Jenny fans there. I think okay. there's a, a big overlap there between the two of them. I oh, just, I, well, I hope so. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I do think that there's, uh, there's I mean, no taking sides here in this, in this okay, rivalry good. of sorts yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess then, I mean, I don't fully understand your question except that I think, you know, you've got kind of the, experience on right. one side right and, and so I feel like I'm never going to just back down from any challenge in an event that I have worked really hard to master yeah and so that's really important to me um but as far as how Shelby approaches it um I mean remember I don't I mean other than like going back and watching the races later um I don't watch them in real time with the same anticipation that other people do mm-hmm. and of course I bring a completely different read to it right because yeah. I'm watching the race from my through my own lens of like not a fan cheering for someone in the race but as a person really studying and trying to decide you know what did I do right what did I do wrong yeah I guess what I was kind of like wondering was more of just like when you've been at the top for so long seeing someone like Shelby come up what how how do you kind of deal with it of sort I see what you mean I do 
Yeah, I do think that there was maybe a little bit, and I'm just from like what I hear from my family and friends, there was a little bit of like, oh, is, is this going to be really hard for Jenny? That like someone mm-hmm. young is yeah. really good and coming up and doing really well. Um, I guess maybe it's less complicated in my mind because I just think that's part of sports. Yeah. Like eventually somebody, like you're not going, at least for me, in, in such a highly competitive event, everybody that can be good at the 1500 chooses that race. Like they want to run that race. It's such an incredible and highly contested event that, um, like you're not going to win it 10 years in a row. And there's so many things you can get right and get wrong. Even somebody as experienced as me, I can look at my own races and think there are still times where I don't get it quite right. Um, and, and I'm still learning and still getting better and better. Um, so you're not going to win it 10 years in a row yeah. and I want it for a lot of years. <laughs> and so it's not that I ever want to, uh, concede or right. relinquish my grip on any of it. Um, but I just, I guess for me, it's a little less complicated in the sense that I just think that's the nature of sports yeah. and, and I signed up for this and I'm going to fight for every inch and I think I'll eventually get her. No. And I think it's admirable that you've just stuck with the 15 and it's like the easy, it's like, okay, Shelby's here. I'm moving up to the 5k and it was like, I'm moving up to right. like the 10k just like just avoiding her at all costs but no i i dig the the competitiveness so kind of i guess we've caught up a little bit too and we're we've got another like sorry one more comment on that too like i was also that punk kid that came out of nowhere (laughs) and was really good so i kind of have this little bit of like i get it like i was that kid there's going to be a kid do that to me like again like that's just the nature of sport okay we can move on no yeah (laughs) uh so we've kind of caught up i guess to now most recently Doha and we've got like another like five ten more minutes here um so Doha is probably one of the craziest meets that I've ever just like watched from afar just unfold just across the board just all these events were pretty crazy and then the 1500 meter final going out that fast and seeing Safan Hassan just so far ahead uh what was that like for you (laughs) You know, there was discussion among competitors in the warm-up area that this was it was going to be a fast final. So I think that there wasn't any like we were standing in line to go to the bathroom and um, Helen O'Berry, who's going to run in the 5K right after us, um, she and I were laughing and chatting, and she mentioned like, "Oh, it's going to be a hot race." And so I don't think that there was any question that it was going to be yeah. <laughs> it was going to be a fast final which I cannot express to you how unusual that is for there to be kind of this consensus of how the race will, um, what kind of tone the race will have. And who gets to dictate that really? Because it's like so many people in that room have, you know, the medals and all that, but, uh, who ultimately makes that call? It's like, I'm going to make it a fast race. Exactly. No, that's what I'm, that's exactly what I mean by, I can't explain to you like how unusual it is that there seems to be this general consensus that it's going to be a fast race. That just doesn't happen in the 15. Um, and, and my perception of that might be different from other competitors who are headed towards the start line. But I just think there was this, this general, general sense and vibe from everyone that like, all right, this year it's going to be really fast. Um, I'm sorry. It's always really fast at the end, but it's mm-hmm. going to be fast from, from, <laughs> from the, the start. start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's why the 1500 is so often really exciting and terrifying is because you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know if they're going to run hard for a hundred meters and then literally start jogging. Um, and, and men and women both, you know, the, how that unfolds, um, is always like a huge question. 
So the cons- the general idea that like it was probably going to be fast, I think, was kind of um, picked up by a lot of people and kind of generally agreed and understood by a lot of people. Um, I think Hassan's 10K kind of yeah. was what kind of kicked that off, that idea of like, okay, why would anybody wait and run slow when when it's 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 just to a lot of people's advantage for it to be fast. So. I think that was kind of out there, and so I wasn't totally shocked by it, um, but just wanted to give my chance to re-engage every time I possibly could and stay up as high as long as possible. And it's like in those in those you don't you only have like very limited time to to pivot. I guess your strategy in that at that point, like you're are you trying to do anything to stop it from being that fast or? <laughs> <laughs> That's like such a you, good you question. can't do anything, right? Yeah, there's not much you can do yeah. except that um, you can. You can also know that, okay, people make mistakes when it goes slow. There are sometimes falls. People tactically get in the wrong spot. But when it goes really fast, people make mistakes from that end as well. Some people go out too hard or they overestimate um, what, you know, the, the pace that they can keep up from, you know, what you can do for 400 meters is different from what you can do for 500 or 600 meters. So, um, they overestimate their ability or something. And, and it doesn't, I, I've shown 2016 shows. Right. It, it doesn't have to be five people getting it wrong. It can be one person getting it wrong and that puts you into the medals. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I went into the race thinking is if Jenny Simpson runs a PR effort race, you can still like you can still move up. You can yeah. still have a race you're really proud of and, and a race I'm really proud of, I thought could still, you know, be close to the medals. And like I said, I mean, if I didn't think that I could sniff those medals and, and, and maybe snag one, I mean, why, why go, you yeah. know? So I absolutely believed I have closed in 57 recently. Mm-hmm. That's a really terrifying speed to close at and I thought if I can do that anyone can medal if they close in 57 um and so I I went into the race with that level of belief and just ran the best race I could yeah it was just such a weird meet in general with just everything else going on around the sport at the time so I mean like obviously you made headlines afterwards for just comments you made in the mix zone about the Alberto Salazar case and everything uh, just kind of to catch up now, I mean, did you get everything off your chest in Doha like right, as of right now? Yeah, I mean, I have a conviction and mm-hmm. a strong point of view and an experience in all these years that I've been racing. And I feel really good about um, having the opportunity to express that and stand up for what I believe in. And yeah, I, I stand by what I said. All right, we'll move into the final four questions I ask every guest. Uh, so the first one is, what's the meanest thing you've read about yourself on Let's Run.com? <laughs> Um, the meanest thing that I have read about myself, um, I haven't read because I don't go, I mean, I know people, they can choose whether to believe this or not, but I really don't go onto it. And so the meanest thing I've ever heard said about myself was told to me probably by my dad. I tell my dad all the time, like, dad, if you want to go on all kinds of websites or onto Twitter or whatever and read the mean comments, just don't tell me about (laughs) them. Um, and he, but he's still, I don't know. He's, he's kind of a mean guy in that way. He can't resist. Um, oh, what was it though? What did you say? I don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, I, I, I'm probably yelling and arguing with him to get him to stop talking, but, um, let's see, what's the, you know what, actually I should say in general, maybe I keep myself in too much of a bubble, but 
people are in general pretty nice to me. I feel like I don't get like a ton of hate. Uh, I mean, maybe I haven't, uh, yeah, I haven't provoked enough people. I don't know. But in general, I have to be honest, people are pretty nice. Well, with a career so long, there's got to be something out there. Oh, there's something out there. Yeah. 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 I just, uh, I don't internalize it enough to remember. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, What's your funniest drug testing story? So when I had Shelby on, she said that one time, like she like just wanted to get it over with, took two beers, chugged them, and then just like told the drug tester, let's do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah everybody oh my gosh i i've been in the testing pool a long time so i'll give two quick ones um one was that i mentioned earlier when i made my first cross-country team Mm -hmm. in 2003 i was 17 years old we go through um the mix zone and and through the cool down area and a drug tester approaches me and i've never heard of drug testing in my life like i had no idea what this was and and they're explaining to me like you know here's a card we have to follow you around you can't leave our site and then you have to pee in front of us and i'm thinking like what is what is with this woman this is the creepiest thing i've ever heard in my entire life um and so that kind of first experience was wow. yeah um, <laughs> baptism by fire <laughs> was, uh, out on a cold snowy cross-country course uh with no like prior knowledge of the process so um so that was kind of funny and then the second story is um so the testers come to your home and um you know knock on the door and we're here we got to test you um, I had just finished a really, really hard workout, um, and I had just gone to the bathroom. And so it was like, oh my gosh, like it's going to be a really long time. And I was hosting, um, a dinner downtown at a restaurant, um, that friends of ours own and operate and run. Um, and so we had to call the restaurant <laughs> and ask them to add two seats to the table wow. and the drug testers came with us. Uh, and sat there and just kind of waited. And I had to do my drug test in the back of his restaurant, uh, in the like employee bathroom. And that was a really funny, um, yeah. I mean, imagine showing up to a dinner that you're hosting and being like, oh, I have these two extra guests and they're probably not going to eat or stay, but they have to follow me around and I can't leave their site <laughs> until we go back into the bathroom together. It was a super weird, super weird day. Oh, and then the last one, I've had um, drug testers who sat through presidential debates with us. Really? Uh, which was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> they show up we're like having dinner watching the debates i just don't work out just gone to the bathroom so it was like all right buckle up we're gonna watch this together <laughs> so lots of funny stories like that that is pretty good um all right if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you where would this run take place and who would it be with oh that's such a hard question um I think running part of the Boston course with Joan Benoit would be a real joy, you know, and just fun to hear the stories and hear the experiences. A woman who really forged a path for many people like myself. (laughs) Um, Maybe running part of the New York course with Shalane would be fun. Um, One quick story. Um, Shalane and I were roommates in 2008, my first Olympic Games. And she medaled that year. And so she came back to our room. And it was the first time I ever saw an Olympic medal in my life. Um, later upgraded to silver, but at the time mm-hmm. it was bronze. And uh, and she watched her 10K in our room, and I got to watch with her and got to like kind of hear her play-by-play of the 10K the day after she had medaled, or maybe two days later. Um, and that was a really formative experience in my career and had a big impact on me. Um, and so, so 
thank you to Shalane. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that has really inspired me a lot um, to, to be where I am today. But then also um, is part of the reason that I, I give the answer that I do. Like running those courses with those women, that would be an incredible experience. Oh, yeah. If she was able to give you the play-by-play of like the final 5K of New York, that'd be amazing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shalane, we can go out to the park. Yeah. We can do that. <laughs> Last one is nothing to do with running. It's more, and I just, I can probably figure out your answer just based on your competitiveness. Uh, you get 25 basketball shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? So Jason has taken me to the YMCA for us to do this thing. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and this is a true story. I don't know that I can get the basketball from half court to the rim. Wow. Like, I don't think I can throw it that far. So I'm absolutely not taking well, that. That's challenge. a shocker. <laughs> that's a shocker. I didn't see that answer. coming. <laughs> um, Jenny, thank you so much for taking the time for this. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, we should do it again. This is a lot of fun. That's all from me for this episode of the podcast. Many thanks to Jenny for sitting down for that interview. We could have kept going for a couple more hours, but she had something on her schedule and we only had about an hour. And I'm actually pretty happy with how that whole conversation turned out. We were able to cram a lot in there. So if you listen to it and enjoy the episode, give us a shout out on your Instagram stories. We'll repost it to all our followers. And as always, this helps new people discover the show. Many thanks to The Feed and Squirrels Nut Butter for their support. Head on over to thefeed.com and use promo code CITIUS10 to save 10% off everything store-wide. Their athlete gift guide is linked in the show notes. It's a very, very helpful resource if you're looking for some holiday shopping for uh, friends and family. Squirrels Nut Butter has 20% off all of their products. If you hit them up and use promo code CITIUS20 at checkout at squirrelsnutbutter.com. All of those details are in the show notes, so help support the sponsors who support this show. Best of luck to all the runners competing this weekend at the California International Marathon. I'll be at my own CIM running in a relay at the Cayman Islands Marathon, so a nice little getaway there. Next week, I'll be at the Club Cross Country uh, Championships out in Pennsylvania, and then indoor season is rolling around the corner pretty soon, so some exciting times are coming up for the sport indeed as we move into the 2020 Olympic year. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running, and don't forget, legs are feeling good.